introducing first, from Arts Unknown, producer Andrew. Season one finale of Whose Team Is It Anyway? Um, and as you've heard from our own resident Howard Finkel, uh, we have a winner to declare immediately for season one. So I'd like to welcome and congratulate our first winner of the inaugural season, Eddie. How you doing, mate? Evening. Um, yes, I'm very happy to be here and even happier to learn that I won the overall quiz. Um, I'd love to say that it was difficult at all times, but Unfortunately, I'm quite cocky and I'm going to say it was never in doubt. Uh, you got a couple of tap-ins off the ones I missed. And uh, obviously joining me as well tonight, our other resident panellist and wooden spoon holder for the year, Andrew. How are you doing, mate? I'm OK. I'm, I'm shocked, shocked. I thought I was doing really well in the quiz, but, you know, this is just how these things go over a season. <laughs> So, well, our, our, our regular listeners will be saddened to know that Andrew's actually taken a step back from the quiz format. However, he will be our host on season two of Whose Team Is It Anyway? So to answer the Alan Partridge, have we got a second series? We have. Um, so please stay tuned to that. Uh, the announcements will be on our Twitter page, at Whose Team Pod, and that's the same on Instagram for any of us who follow there. Um and our second series will be featuring English Premier League all-time 11s. So, gentlemen, um, are we all good to start off our season one finale, which we announce the team of the season, and we'll also announce which guest won because they had the most players from the team of the season. Yep, looking forward to this. Uh, let's dive in. Right, um, there's uh, several of these tonight, gentlemen. Um, and we'll start right with the goalkeeper 
and gentlemen, we have a decision to make. Yes, we discussed 57 players overall on our first season, so it shows you how highly regarded players are that in the thousands of thousands of footballers, 57 made it to the all-time 11s uh, and several of them were discussed in two or three teams. In the goalkeeper stage, we discussed five goalkeepers, but three of them have given us a tie. So, the jet, uh, for, for our listeners, the guys on the pod know who the players are that are tied, but none of us know who the other people are going to argue for or against. So, I'm going to come to Andrew first, and I'll say we have three goalkeepers, Peter Schmeichel, Andy Gorham and Alan McGregor. Out of those three, who's your pick? So it's tough, but I'm going to go for Andy Gorham. Okay, that's one down. Eddie, what about you? Yeah, it it is really tough. Um, for me, it comes down to two. It comes down to Schmeichel and Gorham. But in all honesty, sitting here making the decision, I can't go against Andy Gorham. And for goalkeeper, I'll elaborate and I'll say that it's a clean sweep for the goalie. So the first person in our team of the season, goalkeeper Andy Gorham. Uh, Andrew, come to you first. Why Andy Gorham? Um, he's the goalkeeper. That's, that's the problem. Um, you don't get too many players who are definitive in their position, right? But Andy Gorham is definitively the goalie. Um, and it's not so. It's not even the fact that he was one of the most immensely skilled players in that position ever. It it was playing in a league that was as competitive as it was, and he broke so many opposition players' hearts. And um, you know, he he was a player who I saw very young growing up, which made me happy to be, you know, the kid who got awkwardly picked to be the goalkeeper a lot of the time. Um, because Andy Gorham was just rock solid. Um, yeah, uh, I, I can't look past him. Um, Schmeichel, McGregor, both highly successful. You know, they both won plenty, but I cannot look past Andy Gorham because he was arguably the best in the world at that position. In fact, I'll go out and say it. For me, he was the best in the world in that position. No, absolutely love it. And uh, Eddie, what about you? I know you think very highly Andy Gorham. Yeah, there's not much to say more than what Andrew said there. I mean, when you're asking who's going to be the goalie in the team, it's it's got to be the goalie. Um, I'm much like Andrew there. I grew up... Um, as a youngster watching Rangers during that kind of nine in a row error and Andy Gorham for me was the best keeper in the world at that time. Don't get me wrong. Schmeichel, absolutely wonderful goalkeeper, mounds and mounds of respect for him. Um, I think he's a fair shout to be in a lot of people's teams, but for me, Andy Gorham just was superb. He was able to go out there and give his all and be an absolute top performer despite and and I don't mean this as an insult, and it might come across as an insult, but despite not being probably the most um, athletic-looking of players and perhaps not being someone who 
gave their 100% dedication um, to getting themselves in shape, yet could still go out there and be the best in the world at what he was doing, just shows that he had unbelievable talent. And he he's as well, going back that far, he, his distribution was top-notch. I mean, he could pick out a pass. He was Connor Goldson-type cross balls before Connor Goldson was even walking. Um, he's just unreal uh, as a goalkeeper, unreal distribution. And for me, there just couldn't be any other player that could start a team off. No, um, and just to just to wrap up the late great Andy Gorham, uh, I'm very so happy that he's featuring on the team. I'm glad it wasn't a, it wasn't a debate here. As I said, I do agree with you in the terms that Schmeichel, wonderful keeper, mass, massively respected. McGregor as well for his length of service. I just don't think McGregor for me reached the peak of what Gorham was capable of, despite his length. It, he may have achieved slightly more in his time with us. Um, but Gorham and that, especially that 92-93 season there was nobody near him and the argument I put forward is if Gorham plays in that Man United team in 99 they don't need two late goals um, Gorham for me, the greatest keeper who I've ever witnessed in in, in person greatest person, the greatest keeper I've ever witnessed on telly um, the, the epitome of a goalie and like you said he wasn't your cut out goalie he wasn't 6 foot 5 he wasn't athletic he wasn't he just had talent he knew where he had to be his positioning was excellent distribution his instincts were beyond compare I don't think anybody has the reactionary saves that Gorham ever had so I'm very pleased to say that Gorham is our number one and I don't think as a Rangers fan anybody will be objecting to that one so yep Number one. one other thing to jump in for me is um, I've mentioned he probably wasn't the most athletic, but what he did lack in athleticism, he more than made up for in heart and passion. Um, he, you could see it whenever and he the, made and the and the jelly. He just had it. <laughs> and jelly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you, you could see it whenever he made a, a top class save. You could see just how much he loved making that save um, and, and how much he loved playing for the, the club that he played for as well. And um, that just bleeds through into the team. You know, if, you, if your goalie has that much passion to play for the team, then you can't help but absorb some of that passion and put it out there yourself as well. I was uh, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Andy um, a couple of months ago, actually, sadly, before he passed. Um, and an absolute gentleman, lovely guy to talk to, was approachable by anyone would talk about football, would talk about you, the saves that you remember and stuff like that. And I just got to say, I'm just like, I was like, that, the celebration he made saving that Van Hoydonk penalty is my favourite celebration, even compared to any goals that Rangers have ever scored. And there was just the, the, the sheer passion and how he saved that penalty. That will love me meeting my dying day. So, as we said, Andy Gorham, our number one and season one's number one. So we'll move on now to the right back. Um, the way things have actually tallied up this season, it's going to be a back four, a midfield four, and a front two. So the old-fashioned four-four-two is here to stay. But as we've come to the right back position, again, gentlemen, we have a decision to make. We've actually discussed. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different right backs. So not one 
person uh, on season one has agreed with a right-back, you'll be pleased to know. So I'm going to rhyme off the players, and it's up to you both gentlemen to pick. Um, we had Cafu, James Tavernier, Sergio Ramos, Fernando Rickson, Carlos Puyo, Gary Neville, Winston Bugard, which threw everybody, <laughs> and Alan Hutton. So, uh, Eddie, I'll come to you first this time. Um, if I've given you enough time there to make your mind up for your right back, who would you be having? So, I think first off, what I'm going to do is just throw Winston Bogard out. Um, no, no offence to Tom, uh, but I, I think we were all quite shocked. He gave himself a very uh, strict and difficult um, setting for his team, and I can understand where Bogard came from, but for me, nah, he, he just gets chucked out and it's not talked alongside the others. Um, I'm sure you're probably going to say something similar about Tav knowing you when it reaches you, Scott, but um, this is really difficult. It's bet- For me, it's between Cafu and Gary Neville. And I think I'm going to give my vote to... No, I'm going to have to give it to Cafu, I'm afraid. Interesting. Andrew? Well, I'm I'm slightly younger than Eddie. Um, so, not that, you know, I, I think that makes much odds, but I'm picking a player who um, has been much more successful much more recently, and I'm going to go with Sergio Ramos. And why is that your pick? Uh, ludicrously successful. Um, made the UEFA Team of the Year. Uh, nine times, the only two players who have done that more are Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, who I believe are relatively successful as well. Um, yeah, just fabulously successful and someone I personally would want in my team as well. Um, you know, he's won four Champions Leagues. Uh, yeah, it's difficult for me to argue against him. Um, so that's why I'm picking him. No, I think, I think that's very fair. Um, I, I, I can't see arguments against Ramos. Um, I think I think the right back for us is going to come down to a case of preference um, because apart from Winston Bugard again, sorry, Tom, I don't think that anybody gets immediately dismissed. I know what Eddie was saying. I th- he thinks I'm going to be harsh on Tav. Um, no. And I think this year that Trent Alexander-Arnold will see what he has to live up to when he plays to have in the Champions League. However, out of the ones we mentioned, I was probably in the same boat as Eddie that I had to be between Cafu and Gary Neville for me. And for me, it's Cafu. It's the AC Milan captain, the Roma captain, the World Cup winner, the modern right-back, the man who could tackle, the man who could bomb up the wing. He was just the epitome of a modern full-back. And so Brazil's most capped-ever player. Yeah, me. yeah. If, if you're getting that many caps for Brazil, you're obviously doing something right. That's exactly it. And I mean, yeah. For me, it's like the player that right-backs, whenever there's a good right-back now, we always, like at Rangers, we say, we call Tavnir the blue Cafu. 
you know, at Liverpool, they refer to Trent Alexander-Arnold in that kind of Cafu kind of like he's the person that we compare right backs to. Yeah, and I think for me, it's because I've seen less of Cafu. Um, I think just because of the difference in the era, but you know, Ramos is someone I'm more familiar with. But I can't argue against the fact that again, like um, like Gorham, he's very definitive in that position, right? Um, as you guys say, you you find uh, a good right back, they're held up to Cafu in comparison, right? So, yeah, I can't argue with it. Um, plus, he's, you guys are outvoting me anyway. But, um, yeah, uh, I, th- I think both of them are good picks. But, yeah, happy to defer to you boys. And for me, it's, for me, Cafu was just a, like I said, he, we, we thought we thought Hutton were like oh, Hutton's a blue Cafu, and then Broadfoot was ironically the the, the white Cafu with the shite tattoo, you know. So, but Cafu was just like I said, the epitome of a modern fullback. He's also part of the last Roma team to win a title. Um, he won the Champions League with AC Milan. I think he only won one Serie A with them, but he won two World Cups. And like you said, Brazil's most cap player, you do not get that amount of caps with a team like Brazil, with a country like Brazil, with the history that they've got without being up there. And for me, at the the time of his career, I think there's very few that are actually ever going to surpass how good he was. But I don't think at the time there was anybody near him. Um, So I'm happy to take that. So if you gentlemen are both happy, we'll say Cafu if there's anything you want to add today. No, no, I'm, uh, I'm happy with that pick. I mean, I, I was just looking through his individual um, honours there as well, and he was in—he was named in the Ballon d'Or um, all-time greatest team as well. So, nah, there you go. Just speaks mounds of a man. Um, we'll we'll move on now to our centre backs having jerseys one and two filled, and. Our centre-backs, gentlemen, you'll both be pleased to know that there is no decision to be made. These players, well, the first player was actually the most voted player in the team. Um, So our first centre-back is Paolo Maldini. Eddie, I know you love Paolo Maldini, so Andrew, with your permission, I think we'll just go straight to Eddie and let the love-in continue. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think this this is one thing that it, it, out of everything we've done on this show, this is the one thing that has come out correct in that Maldini is just a sure stick on in this team. If he hadn't been in this team, I probably would have walked. Um, for me, he's the best defender I've ever seen play. He's one of my top three players of all time. Um, as a kid, I was a defender and it wasn't the... <laughs> the sexy position to play. Everyone wanted to be a striker or uh, like a winger. But for me, uh, I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the most skillful, but I was decent at tackling and had fairly good positional sense. So I would be a defender and there wasn't, you know, you, you had your kind of your hard men that you could style yourself after, but there wasn't that kind of player that everyone looked at and went, yeah, actually he's a, he's a quality footballer. And then Maldini came um once we started getting Italian football a bit more over in the UK and watching him on, on uh, Channel 4 on a morning on the weekends was like, wow, yes, that's a player I want to be. He had, he had everything. 
a great technical ability, athleticism. Um, he was really, really composed. He could play left back or centre back, you know, and that partnership with Baresi at Milan was just unreal. I mean, how many goals was it they conceded when they played alongside you? It wasn't many, was it? I think it was 30, 34 over a space of about 200 and maybe six, 216 games. That's off the top of my head, but... Yeah, that's unreal. You know, when <laughs> when you're able to play at the, the very, very top of um, the footballing world, and then your your job is to prevent the other team scoring goals and you come out and you've got a record like that. I mean, you are doing something right there. And for me, it was the first kind of real defender that made kids on the playground want to be the defender. Um, it was the first time that people weren't saying, oh, I want to be like Yashira, I want to be a Gaza, I want to be a McCoyst. It was, a, yeah, I want to be Maldini. So for me, stick on, had to be in there. Love him, absolutely love him. And I'm delighted that, everybody or just about um, everybody who hadn't set a parameter that ruled him out picked him so for me perfect Andrew I don't know about yourself but absolutely zero objections for me I don't think that any world 11 would be complete without Maldini yeah others may complain about democracy but I, I don't think it's brought up the wrong decision this time um, a one club man someone who's made over a thousand career appearances yeah no, no questions whatsoever, including Maldini. I think so far, and even looking at what we've got going ahead, I think he's also the coolest bastard that will feature on the team as well. So we'll, we'll, we'll take that just now. Um, and Maldini is our first of two centre-halves. Um, and uh, as I said before, gentlemen, we don't have a decision to make. Well, there's been a miscalculation uh, on my part. And gentlemen... We have a decision to make. Yep. Uh, the stats have lined up and the second centre-half spot is actually a three-way tie. So, again, as we've done with the goalkeeper, I'll just put this out there. Marco Matarazzi, Yap Stam and John Terry. Oof. I wasn't prepared for the, the the decision to make part of this. I was I was very surprised that Marazzi was in the running. Um, and to be honest, I was actually surprised he was picked at all. If I'm being perfectly honest, I, I hadn't expected him when we first came up with the idea for this show for him to feature whatsoever. Um, so unfortunately, I'm going to rule Marazzi out. I'm going to go with um, Yapstam. Uh, well, the good news is, Ili, I'm in complete agreement with you. Um, I can't vote for John Terry. Just don't want to. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Yapstam it, it would be the one that I'd pick for this one. So, yeah, he, he's my guy. To be honest, I don't think John Terry will mind too much because he's going to celebrate it anyway. Oh, that's true. He'll, he'll yeah, be there. Cool. Exactly, yeah. He'll be there regardless of whether we pick him or not. So best to reserve it for an actual player, you know? Uh, well, like I said, gentlemen, we had the decision to make, but thankfully it's been a very easy decision to make. Um, 
I'm not even going to be controversial here. Yapstam, Yapstam, uh, sorry, gets it for me right away. Um, like Eddie, I was very surprised to hear a Matarazzi, and I think since hearing of him, especially from Marco Negri, having played alongside him, it, it has given me a greater appreciation of his game. Maybe the likes of us were slightly blinded by his performances when he played for Everton, and one of these players that maybe didn't quite hit the heights that were expected in the Premier League. However, for me, as a kid, uh, I was on a school trip, and I am not a Man United fan, but we went to Old Trafford, and the tour guide said, we're all asking, who's your favourite player? And we're expecting to hear Giggs or Cole or Sheringham or Beckham or Yapstam. And the tour guide said to me, Yapstam is the greatest defender Man United have had in 40 years, whatever. And Alec Ferguson, to this day, says that that was his biggest mistake, was letting him leave. For a manager of that calibre, for I'm just going to throw it out there and say, for the greatest ever manager of football, to come out there and say that that was his big mistake, speaks volumes. And Stam not only was a hard, hard bastard, but he had a controlled aggression when he played. He was very strong in a tackle. He was impeccable in the air and he could read a game of football. So I don't know if there's anything that you guys want to add or if there's any disagreements in there. But for me, Yapstam is an absolute 10 out of 10 pick and he is our second centre half. Yeah, I mean, I was going to bring up the Ferguson point if you hadn't, Scott. Um, I, I think that's a mark of how good and significant he was for that Man U team. And that's Man U pretty much at the height of their power as well, or, you know, during one of their peaks at least, right? So, yeah, uh, I don't think there's any debate or question to be had around um, around Stam being included here. He would have been my pick out of all the players. Um, and well, obviously he was because he ended up being my, my pick. But for me... I think you're right. Um, you said the two guys said he's the best centre back that's ever played for my net. I think there's an argument to be made that he's the best centre back that's ever played in the Premier League. Um, you're spot on when you said that he was just a hard, hard bastard. But he wasn't. He wasn't a psychopath. He wasn't. He didn't worry about him going out there and just tacking people down just to show how tough he was. He was that kind of guy who he would go in strong on a tackle, and then if he then decided to give him some crap, he would just give you that kind of stare. Where his eyes kind of bulged out a little bit more, and and you knew that you like the person was just going to back down. And um, you're right, Ferguson said about him, his biggest regret is letting him go. Uh, but I think it also proved how good a player that Stam was that he did let him go because for many players, for many people, anyone being let go in that circumstances, because basically he was told he, he he felt that he was he'd lost a step and he wasn't good enough for the team anymore and he let him go that could have been the, the case he could have taken that to heart he could have let it kind of define the end of his career but actually what he ended up doing was thinking right well I'm going to prove him wrong when Lazio was outstanding for Lazio and earned himself a move to Milan and played at an, an equal-ish level to to what he would have been at Man United anyway well into the end of his career um, before he finished at Ajax so just a, a remarkable defender, but also a great character and a really strong will. And I'm just gutted that when he was initially linked with Rangers, that he never ended up going to Rangers. Yeah, we were. That's that's definitely a player we missed out on there. 
Um, I wouldn't have objected to him. I still wouldn't object to him in the starting lineup right now. So now that we've got our two centre backs, right back and goalkeeper filled, we'll now move on to the left back. And this was a unanimous decision. And I don't think there's going to be any arguments really in the chat. I think um, we all pretty much agree with this player's inclusion. Um, so, Andrew, I'll go over to you. Ashley Cole is the guaranteed left-back. Yeah, I don't think this was a surprise. I think it had become a running joke by the end of the podcast. I know that another member of the panel will have a personal issue with Ashley Cole, which I'll let him get to in a second. But, um, yeah, there, there's no doubts about uh, Ashley Cole's inclusion. Um, yeah. Uh, was a member of the Invincibles team with Arsenal, won two league titles, three FA Cups, and then he went on to join Chelsea for you know eight years and won everything there as well, including the Champions League and the Europa League as well. So, yeah, uh, no debate from me about his inclusion. Eddie, um, I'm sure you have something to say. <sighs> this guy. For the, any new listeners, why you're listening to the finale before you've listened to any other shows, I'm not sure. But for any new listeners, I hate Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole broke my heart when he took Cheryl Cole off the market. And then he broke Cheryl Cole's heart. So I really do not like Ashley Cole as a person. However, I cannot have a single argument with his inclusion in an all-time 11, a left-back, because the guy was phenomenal. Andrew's covered it there. He was part of that amazing Arsenal team, and then went on to Chelsea and was part of that amazing Chelsea team. Um, the guy was just superb, and I think the only thing missing from his career was some international honours, um, which I think he probably deserved over the course of his career, just was unfortunate not to get. And I've got no problems with him being included on his footballing ability. Um, I just really don't like the guy. I think he's one of these ones that I think we're all happy to include in his football ability. Um, maybe not so much on a personal level. Um, but yeah, no objections from our side. Um, so, listen, it was a done deal. Uh, he received the second most votes after Paolo Maldini to be in the squad. So, we'll move on now. And we go on to our second bank of four in the midfield. And well, gentlemen, we do have a decision to make. But we'll not make it right now. Um, we have three of the four guaranteed. And, Eddie, I'll come to you first. The first of our four midfielders, Zizou, Zinedine Zidane. Yeah, th- this is a stick-on. Um, I think if you polled 100 people, if, if we did it... Um, what was the family fortunes was it where they used to do that and yeah you pulled 100 people and i think the f- number one choice would, would be zidane um he's he was just absolutely phenomenal to watch um the guy seemed to just glide along the pitch he his vision was unreal he could pick out a pass he could rifle a shot but his own personal skill and the way he was just able to run with that ball and it was almost glued to his feet was phenomenal to watch had a mean streak in him as we're uh, fully aware and as his final game of his career kind of led everyone to realise um, so much so that he was included in Louch's Bastard 11 but 
you're talking about a guy who played at the very top level um, in Italy and in Spain. Um, won World Cups, with, or at least one World Cup with France. Um, you know, he was kind of one of the figureheads of that Galactico movement at Real Madrid. The guy just had everything. I mean, he had a movie made of someone just completely filming him for the full 90 minutes on a football pitch. You know, that that's how absolutely phenomenal a footballer was and how much of an impact he had on the game of football and fans around the world. So I don't think there's a single person out there that would argue against him. There might be one or two that wouldn't vote him in, but when the votes were all tallied up, I don't think you'll find a single person in the world football who would argue against including him in an all-time 11. I don't think we'll find one on here either, Eddie. Andrew, any objections to Zizou? No, not at all. Um, absolutely deserves inclusion. Um, we've already waxed lyrical about him plenty of times before in the podcast, so I'll not go over old ground and simply say he absolutely deserves to be in this team. And I'll agree with you, Andrew, and Eddie. Uh, perfectly succinct there. Zizou gets an any 11 for me, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Andrew, we'll move on to your allocation for the naturally picked. And it is... That man again uh, from Lazio, Everton, Middlesbrough, Newcastle, Tottenham Hotspur, and Rangers. You having a guess? Hey now, Scott, you've missed out two of the big teams, Ganzu Tianma and Boston United. <laughs> I think you know fine well who this pick is. <laughs> uh, yes, Paul Gascoigne. Exactly. Um, look, I mean, I think there was a natural instinct that we would lean towards including Gaza because of, you know, you know, our support of Rangers. And I think the inclination of probably the majority of our guests to be sympathetic towards Rangers as well. I like to think even without all of that, that Gaza would still have been included in this team because, you know, I, I think you can apply this probably to a number of the players who are included here, but Gaza was just a genius with a football at his feet and one of those rare players who could change an entire game just by himself. Um, and the great thing was that I think Rangers got the best of him. Um, Ali McCoy said the same thing, you know, that we had the best of Gaza while he was at Rangers, you know, when he was asked about his inclusion in the Scotland Hall of Fame, which he should be in. Um, it, he's just, you know, not only a fantastically talented footballer, but he's someone who looks like he enjoyed every second of playing football as well. Um, and I was fortunate to meet him recently for the, um, well, during the uh, weekend where we had the Legends game at Ibrooks, And um, he was still, you know, life and soul of the party there and wax lyrical about his time with Rangers. And, you know, every moment that he was on that pitch looked like it was a moment of absolute joy for him. So I, I cannot argue against the inclusion of Gaza in this. Um, he would absolutely be in my team. And I'm glad that there was no debate around his inclusion here. Yeah, that was perfectly summed up there, Andrew. Uh, I think, like you said, there there could be an element of bias leaning towards it. But even as a neutral looking at the, the gifts that this man possessed, uh, it's hard to argue against. Um, for me, trouble genius like like the greats, like George Best, you know, and for me he's England's greatest ever player. I know that might not go down so well down south, but for me, Paul Gascoigne was England's greatest ever player. And 
he was a man that could on his own change a game and one of the few few characters in football which is severely lacking nowadays so on top of everything you've just said that I can't see past including Gaza in this team I don't know if Eddie's got anything to add or I, I don't think there'll be any disagreement but no there, there's definitely no disagreement um for me he's probably one of the most naturally talented footballers of all time uh, he perhaps had a bit of a issue applying himself at times but what I would say is he's someone who um he played football because he loved playing football and I've said there's perhaps an issue with um, applying himself at times. Well, I don't mean on the pitch. On the pitch, he was phenomenal. He did everything he needed to do. He controlled games. And like you said, he could turn a game on in, on its head just as soon as he felt like it. Um, I just think for him, football was fun. And it wasn't so much a job. Um, it was just about going out and having fun. And if he wasn't having fun, he wasn't as interested. And for me, I coach kids football. Um, I, I coach an underage team. And if I was going to tell them to watch anyone play, it would, at this age that they're at, I would say go watch Gaza play because he's everything that they need to be doing at this point in that he goes out and he plays with a smile on his face and he just loves playing football. And at that age that these kids are at, they should just... It's not about the winning and, and losing. It's about going out and having fun and enjoying themselves. And Gaza managed to carry that from that age group right all the way through his career. He's probably the only player I've ever seen. I mean, obviously, apart from uh, that semi-final at Italia 90, but the only player I've ever seen who seemed to just absolutely love and have fun every single time he went out on that pitch. And that that's just unreal to me. That's something that you you just you can't put a price on. No, I, I can't disagree in the slightest. His love for the game shone through when he played. And like you said, the smile on his face... I remember watching, I think it was a, it was an England game. It was a friendly, it was on the telly, usual ITV, and the teams were running out. I think it was in the lead-up to Euro 96. And all the players are running by the camera, just focused and going on the park. And what does Gaza do? He's a thumbs up and pulls a daft face to the camera. You know, just... He was a boy that never lost his love for the game. He never grew up. And... He was as you can imagine him being as happy playing the game at eight year old as he was when he was in his final years of playing the game, um, and yeah, I, I think everybody summed it up beautifully. Just the, the the best quote I had from him or that I've seen from him was uh, Glasgow Rangers. I'd love to do those two years again for the rest of my life, and I think I think that's just that we we got the best out of Gaza. And uh, well, I was fortunate enough to be a season tickle holder and witness that week in, week out. So I am thrilled that he's in our 11. And as we come to our third guaranteed midfielder of our bank of four, um, they're all centre midfielders actually at the moment. But uh, maybe slightly controversial, I might get a bit of disagreement from the my two colleagues here. But for me, I'm pleased with this pick because in the eternal debate of Gerard Scholes or Lampard, our third guaranteed midfielder is Paul Scholes. Now, I think David Edgar said there was nothing this boy couldn't do. And then we flagged, flagged up the fact that he couldn't tackle to save himself. <laughs> um, but he didn't need to tackle. Paul Scholes, for me, again, not being a United fan, 
but one of the most gifted players I've ever witnessed. Um, his, his passing trumps anything. When you've got the cream of Europe and the cream of world football saying that the, you're the greatest, Zidane saying Paul Scholes is the greatest passer of a ball he's ever seen. Obviously, in the earlier episodes, when I think he first made an appearance, I, I told the story about Ronaldo doing all his tricks and Paul Scholes points out a, a tree 100 yards away and goes, hit that with one ball, and he does. This man could pick a pass. He could see a pass for anywhere. His vision was unbelievable. He had a good shot on him too. And there wasn't many goals he scored that wasn't a, a good thunder bastard. Um, and I think the fact that, like, like you said, another sort of one-club man and just a quiet family man, um, maybe had toenails to trim, but a quiet, humble man, done his business on the park, was quiet off the park, might have had a couple of toenails to trim, called Robbie Savage a wanker live on television, and the medal tally speaks for itself. I understand that people maybe think Gerard or Lampard are slightly more rounded, but for me, Scholes is a welcome addition, and out of the, the midfielders that were presented, I'd say he would be my pick. Uh, I'll go to Andrew first. Any disagreements? or No, I mean, I'm upset you brought up the toenail thing because I think I explicitly told you to never mention that ever, ever again because it really, really upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean, in terms of Skull's inclusion in this, I don't think there should be any debate. He's, you know, a player who was absolutely key to everything that Man U did for, you know, as I said, they've gone through peaks and troughs and even under Ferguson, they went through peaks and troughs. But Skulls was there throughout all of those different iterations. And I think uh, David Egger made the point, you know, when they thought they were finished with him, he retired and then he unretired and came back for another season, making another 33 appearances and getting five goals. Um, he was instrumental to everything that Man U did there. He um, was ludicrously successful. 25 trophies, including 11 Premier League titles, which is more than any other English player. Um, two Champions Leagues. I mean, the player was just unreal in how successful he was and how good he was at what he did. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there should be any debate you know, on his merits as a player. I cannot find an argument against his inclusion, apart from the fucking toenail thing. But you know, we'll leave that where it is. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to break the fourth wall here with the listeners, uh, the the intro to Paul Scholes there was a second take because I did do a dry bulk when I mentioned the toenail thing. <laughs> um, Eddie, any uh, disagreements with Scholes? Um, it's not so much a disagreement. He wouldn't be a mine. If, if I was picking my World Eleven, I'm not including Paul Scholes. Um, I, I probably don't include him in even just a Premier League Eleven, to be honest with you. But I think a lot of that is to do is more because of me rather than him. I, I just it, it's just a bit of a boring inclusion. Um, but as I say a lot of the time in work, someone who does their job really well and is really really good at their job you don't tend to notice because there's not a big song and a dance of how, look how I've done this. And, and obviously you don't notice because you haven't made a mistake. Um, and, and I think he 
probably fits into that category. He just did his job so unbelievably well that actually you just you stop paying attention because you just know he's doing it well and it's always going to be there and he's always going to put in that production. Um, just to go to reiterate Andrew's point and expand on it, he retired. He didn't unretire. The Alex Ferguson requested he unretire. So if you've got, which we'll all, I think we'll all agree. You've already said, Scott, you've got the greatest manager of all time coming to you and saying, look, Paul, I know you've retired, but actually I desperately need you back in my team. Then you obviously have something about you. And if he's good enough for Fergie, then who am I to say he's not good enough for me? Nah, that's that's it exactly. When you've got the greatest manager chap in your door, <laughs> it's it's a no-brainer. Um, I, I understand where you're coming from, Eddie, and I, I know the debate has always has always been massive. Um, but for me, he's the one out of the three, and uh, he has made this team by a unanimous vote. So as I said, we had a decision, gentlemen. Um, we'll not jump into the music again, but there are three. And there's a sentimental, there's a nostalgic, and there's a modern. So I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, Eddie will let you take it first. Andrew, let you take it second, and I'll wrap us up. We have for the sentimental Barry Ferguson. For the traditionalist, we have Diego Maradona. And for the modern footballer, we have Cristiano Ronaldo. Ah, uh, right. I, I'm going to... So I'm going to do what I've done on the last ones, and I'm going to rule someone out first. When it comes down to them three, um, I'm I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to rule out Barry Ferguson straight away. Uh, Barry probably could have done more with his career um, if he'd applied himself a bit more towards that kind of middle point if he'd gone to a bigger club instead of going to Blackburn if he hadn't got involved in some of the off the field annex then I think he would have been an even better player and would have had an even better career perhaps he would have then earned a shout from me in this but unfortunately he doesn't that being said when I'm saying you know if he hadn't got involved in some of the off field stuff (laughs) I'm uh I'm going to give my vote to Diego Maradona, ironically there. It's it's really tough, though, because I find it hard to not vote for Cristiano Ronaldo. I find it difficult to not acknowledge that he is one of the best that's ever played. But while not not being my specific, one of my top three of all time favourites, I think Maradona probably is the best player that's ever played. So I'm going to give it to Maradona. Andrew? Um, like Eddie, I think um, when I when I learned the three players that we had here, I, I ruled out Barry pretty immediately. Um, as much as I loved him when he played for Rangers, um, he's not one of those players who I think transcended that. Um, he was never particularly successful anywhere else. Um, was successful, highly successful, highly talented with Rangers. But I think as Eddie said, didn't particularly, you know, take that talent and apply himself further to go further with that. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo is someone who's done, you know, the exact opposite. I think, you know, he himself has said that he wasn't, you know, the most naturally talented footballer, but he is someone who clearly works immensely hard at everything that he does. 
Um, but neither of them are Diego Maradona, who is not only one of the most talented players that I've ever seen, um, not live, but, you know, in terms of uh, watching the tape back, he is a ludicrously talented footballer. And for me, he would be the pick that I would go for, Diego Maradona. And, sorry, can I I'll just jump in? We, we always talk about the Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, we, we personally don't, but like footballer uh, fans always talk about the Cristiano Ronaldo leap for that goal for Juve. But considering how small Maradona was, he managed to, uh, he managed to get one hell of a leap on and get his head to the ball against England. So you've got to give him that one. Absolutely. Fantastic header. Um, but I mean, and I know we're obviously, we're obviously joking. You know, we know that it was definitely a real goal that he scored, but I, I, it's, I think I talked about this when he was first brought up as well. That's, you know, a hilarious goal for anyone who's not supporting England, but the other goal that he scores in that game, a 66 yard dribble past five England players and then slotting the ball home ridiculous you know when we talked about Gaza being a player who could win a game by himself Maradona different fucking gravy um just an immense player and someone that I I cannot argue against being included in the world best 11. Yeah um I think when we talk about the greatest footballers we always talk about the Pelis, the Maradonas, the Cruyffs, the best and for me, I think I was fortunate enough to actually see a bit of Maradona play. I think that the others were just two before my time and we've only seen highlights. Although, that said, I didn't see the best of Maradona in my lifetime. I've only seen him later and maybe going a bit bonkers towards a camera, which later probably ended his career in football. Um, however, you can't... I'll agree with both of you. As sentimental as it gets, Barry Ferguson isn't in the same league as Maradona. For me, Cristiano Ronaldo, as much as he's done just now, and without a doubt is one of the, arguably one of the greatest to ever play the game, he just doesn't quite have Maradona. And whether that's a personal thing, whether that's his attitude, again, the fact that Maradona was a character, and you see that with your bests and your gazas, and he was a character on and off the park, and I know he gets uh, he gets frowned upon for his his leap in that game, or that's obviously what it's remembered for the old hand of God. But what people always forget, and I'm glad Andrew mentioned it, was the fact that he then goes an amazing run and skins some of the best internationals that England have had in a long time, uh, and he was capable of doing that week in week out, as we've seen when he, he led Napoli to the Serie A, he dragged Argentina. And I'm not being disrespectful to the rest of the Argentinian players for 78 and 86. But he dragged them to those World Cups. Messi and Ronaldo haven't done that. So for me, it's a clean sweep again with the voting. And that's three out of three that we're going to agree on. Maradona makes the midfield 11. Eddie, I think you've got something else on Maradona. Uh, well, no, I was just going to say, I think you're a, a, a tad unfair on Ronaldo there. He did... Um... He did help Portugal win a European championship. It's not the same as a World Cup, but Portugal are not the same as Argentina really as well um, when it comes down to it. But I just think on the three of them, we were we ruled out Barry Ferguson quite quickly 
and just for anyone listening who's maybe is a bit aggrieved by that, it, it's it is difficult. But when you look at it, you've got Ronaldo and Maradona have won like World Cups, European Championships, Champions Leagues, La Liga, Serie A, EPL, Ballon d'Ors, and then like Barry Ferguson, as as great a player as he was for Rangers, his biggest trophies won is the SPFL title. So. And the Scottish Writers Player of the Year, but as I said, it's it's not comparing apples with oranges there. Maradona turns like a little eel and comes away from trouble. Little squat man comes inside Butcher, leaves him for dead. Outside Fennec leads him for dead and puts the ball away. And that is why Maradona's the greatest player in the world. He buried the English defence. He picked up that ball 40 yards out. First he left one man for dead, first he went by Saxon. It's a goal of great quality by a player of the greatest quality. It's England the nil, Argentina two. So we have our first nine players and now we move on to the front line. And gentlemen, for the final time tonight, we have a decision to make. This one, however, is slightly different. There's two spots available and there are three strikers tied for the two spots. So this time, all I'm going to ask is, who do you eliminate from the three? The first striker we have is Ronaldo, R9, the original Luis de Nazario Ronaldo. We have the man with Avavum, Thierry Henry. And we have... Alistair Murdoch McCoist. Eddie, I'll go to you first. Who are you eliminating from that? Right, this is probably the the hardest kind of decision because you've got three absolutely phenomenal strikers, um, and you've only got two play, two um, spots. Now, for me, Ronaldo is my favorite player of all time. Um, I absolutely loved him when he, when he came onto the scene. Um, you know, he, I think when Davy Edgar was on, I compared him to the. He, he was the football equivalent of John Olamu. He was just this force that came in, and um, all the all the kids wanted to be him. All the kids wanted his silly little haircut, and he was just absolutely amazing to watch. Um, he he had everything you wanted. A couple of knee injuries kind of took his career, made his career not quite go as big as it probably could have but was still massive I mean he played for Barcelona and Real Madrid he played for Inter Milan he played for AC Milan you know the the guy was just I, I, I there's not there's not the words to describe the impact that he had when he came in he was just unreal and he gets the first spot for me every time so unfortunately when it comes to ruling someone out you you're going to have to call me Graham Souness because I'm going to have to put Ali McCoyst on the bench, I'm afraid. I can understand all the arguments here. I'm going to go to Andrew now and see what your picks are. Yeah, this is uh, horrible. <laughs> because, yeah, Iddy's already waxed lyrical about Ronaldo and I can't add much more to that. So I'll just say that I agree with absolutely everything he said there. Um, instead, I mean, I'm going to advocate for Thierry Henry for a bit because of how insanely successful he was. Um, he's won plenty in his time, 
golden boots. He's a ridiculously good striker and someone who I think had always made sense whenever someone brought him up for inclusion here. And unfortunately, I think that, especially when we talked um, previously about the sentimental choice, Ali is someone who I love both as a footballer and a man, less so as a manager, but that's neither, that's not what we're discussing right now. Um, uh, and I think, unfortunately, Ali's the one I have to drop out. Well, uh, well, the vote has been cast for this one, and obviously Ronaldo and Thierry Henry will be the two striker positions. Um, however, I do disagree. Um, and for me, the one that gets dropped is Thierry Henry. Um, Ali McCoy's two European golden boots and synonymous with the, the art of goal scoring. Um, you cannot detract anything from Thierry Henry and maybe I'll be blindsided by it. But again, Ali McCoy just for me is the epitome of a striker. When I was a kid, he was everything I wanted to be. Um, and I can't speak highly enough of him. I love him as a man, as a person, as a player. Just everything about him. Ali McCoy was my hero. And despite what the others may have achieved in football, I think... Had Ali McCoyst, I know we did we debate about. I know he did start down at uh, Sunderland, and had he been in a Man United or an Arsenal or whatever, there's no doubt in my 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 life that he would have buried the goals as he did up here because he just had the talent for it and he was a natural striker. Um, so Ali McCoyst is my pick, and no disagreements with Ronaldo. Uh, for me, in my lifetime the most exciting player I think I've ever watched. Um, I think his career was done short by his injuries. Um, but that World Cup in 98, and then he, with all the all this, uh, the, the, the palaver and the controversy that surrounded the final, he got what he deserved in 2002 when he won that World Cup for Brazil. Um, and just the most iconic player of my lifetime. Um, I argue again that if he hadn't had the injuries he had, it wouldn't be a two-horse debate in the modern day for who the greatest player is. So, yes, R9 and Thierry Henry are the final two players in our squad. Ali McCoyst, unfortunately, the judge, gets dropped to the bench for this one. So, while we tally up the scores for the Season 1 players... Um, I'm going to go to Eddie and ask who was your favourite pick that didn't feature in the squad of the season one uh, that's a very good question favourite pick that didn't feature in this team of the year would be Ed Vidic uh, uh, it's a bit like Stam Um I think he's just a phenomenal defender. He had that aggressive style to him, um, great um, reading of the game. And I just think he was probably Stam for Man United a couple of years after Stam left and kind of filled that hole that they hadn't quite replaced. And his partnership with Rio Ferdinand was phenomenal. 
Uh, and I, I like defenders, so for me it's probably Nemanja Vidic, but I I couldn't have fit him in this team because um, for me Maldini and Stam will always go ahead of him. But I would potentially, if I was looking to pick my 11 out of all the ones that were picked, I might potentially look to go with a three at the back um, and put him in. Now, I've left Laudrup out just because I've tried to go non-personal bias um, and, and Laudrup's kind of my favourite ever Rangers player of all time and probably tied with Ronaldo for my favourite player of all time. But I've tried to go for a non-Rangers one there. No, no, very fair decision. Uh, Andrew, again, uh, this one, there's no debate, no disagreements. This is just a personal pick of the season for you. I mean, if I wanted to be really cheeky, I'd say Alan McCoist because, you know, I love him so much. I'm aware that I've just voted him out. <laughs> but <laughs> he's... You um, bastard. <laughs> he's a player I want to include. But I, I can't find the right way to do it. You'd have to tear... I'd have to tear up the entire team to do it, but I wouldn't mind. Um, Honourable mention for Winston Bogard, obviously. You know, <laughs> a pick that threw absolutely everyone. Um but the the player that I think I'd um, I'd have liked to see make it would um, would have been Vieira, um, just because he was a, an incredibly useful midfielder and he was someone who I think I remembered seeing and just going that that's what you want as someone who anchors a midfield and looks after it at all times. Um, so he he would have been a player I'd have liked to see included here. You know, along with Ali McQuist, obviously. Yeah, two two interesting picks. And I'll, I'll be completely different again. And uh, I think I said it uh, in the last episode that my favourite pick of the season, um, I knew for a fact he wasn't going to get in the World Eleven, but he was my favourite pick. It was Ian Ferguson. And uh, it's because I love the guy. Uh, one of only three to have won the nine in a row with Rangers. Um, and participated in every single medal, and oh, sorry, participated in every competition during that time and won every single medal. But Ian Ferguson, for me, the epitome of a proper hard bastard. <laughs> again, not your modern plastic hard man, but again, the ability to score a goal, the ability to pass a ball, and an all-round midfielder. And debatably, again, had he left Rangers, he, I don't think there's any doubts that he could have made it in the Premier League. But for me, Ian Ferguson was my favourite pick of the season and I'm going to be completely sentimental there. Um, but I'll also say Ali McCoy because he used to pair on a couple of bastards. <laughs> like I said, if I could have fa- if I could change the entire team in the formation just to get Ali McCoy in, I think Ali would do quite well as a central striker with Ronaldo on one side and Henry on the other, you know? So Big Terry Henry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, right, we'll go in the opposite order now for the last question before we reveal our season one winner. Who's the player that didn't feature in any of the elevens that you would wanted to have seen in here, Andrew? Um, honestly, this one's tricky for me. Um, because you can't I mean, remember who hasn't featured. <laughs> well, pretty much, yeah. But I mean, you know, uh, I think and as, he only knows four footballers. Correct. Yes. Uh, as I was going to say, the uh, anyone who's listened to the rest of this series knows that my footballing knowledge outside of Rangers 
is pretty poor. There was a reason that I did really well on the quiz that featured pretty ex much exclusively Rangers players, because those are the players that I know. So, you know, outside of, um, you know, the players that we picked, that were picked, sorry, um, I, I genuinely don't know. Um, I can't remember for sure, Scott, but did Messi ever come up? In any of the people's teams, yeah, yes, Messi was picked. I think he was actually only picked once. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Messi featured once. So I mean, he he's again. I know I know that I'm falling into a trap here of just throwing a whole bunch of strikers together here. But despite, I, I think him only being picked once does him a disservice because I think he should have been one who at least should have maybe made that position where we could have had the debate about him. Because I think he's, um, you know, he, he for me is the opposite of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, someone who's just immensely talented, naturally talented, and then does the work as well with it. Um, so I know I'm changing the question, but let's be honest, otherwise I'm going to have to sit here and try and remember footballers. And that's just not something I'm good at. So that that's my answer, which doesn't really count. <laughs> oh, okay, no, no. Messi's a fair shout. Um, he, he, he didn't necessarily. Well, to be fair, it's different from the last question because he's not your favourite pick. You just think he should have been included. Um, yeah. Eddie, what about you? So, before I name my player, because it's an easy one for me, but I'm actually now that Andrew mentions it, I'm surprised that Messi was only picked once. Um, that does strike me quite odd. But then I suppose a lot of this first season has been very nostalgic picks and we're still in the messy era so potentially that nostalgia hasn't hit and if we were to do this in five ten years time he might feature in a lot more teams and um, for me the one player that wasn't named in any of the teams who i'm disappointed and who i would have loved to have seen is uh, raquel may i love raquel may um, he's one of the best players that i've ever seen live when he played at ibrox I, I thought he was just an absolutely phenomenal player. Um, I used to watch a lot of Argentinian football. I, I like Boca Juniors. I've got a number of Boca Junior strips. When I used to work night shifts, um, I used to time my break so that I could watch the, the Argentinian football on Channel 4. And when Raquel May went back to play for Boca Juniors, I was delighted because um, I'd grown to really, really like them um, because they were so far away that Rangers would never play them. And I never seen it as a conflict of interest, so had a lot of time for them, and um, it was just so much fun watching him go back to to Boca Juniors, and I, I was really surprised that nobody mentioned him. I've, I did mention this to my boss when I was discussing the podcast, and he didn't rate Raquel May, and I think part of that is, and, and I think that's probably why he's never come up was he wasn't too much of a success at Barcelona, um, which was unfortunate, but. You know, sometimes a club doesn't fit a player. But I think when he went to Villarreal, he was absolutely phenomenal for them. Fell in love with them and then said he wouldn't go to any other European club outside of them. Um, but for me, I would have loved to have seen him being picked at least once. That's uh, both very interesting shouts. Both Argentinian as well. Uh, Raquel May, for me, is a great shout. Um, I think... We always look back at it when we talk about great players we've seen at Ibrox and Raquel May always seems to feature up there in the conversations. Um, well, to wrap us up before we 
finally disclosed the winner. Uh, for me, the one player, um, I don't think Eddie will maybe be surprised with this one. Andrew, um, I'll let you go into Wikipedia and look this player up. Um, Thank you. <laughs> for me, uh, Franco Baresi. Um, I think Paolo Maldini features in any team world 11 regardless and I just think out of the Matarazzi's the Goffs, the Ferdinands, the Terry's the Stams, the Cannavaro's the Godin's, the Amoruso's the Desai's and the one Bomber Brown that was mentioned the Franco Baresi for me is he, he wasn't Maldini but there's nobody else that really comes close to either of them. And for me, Franco Baresi and Maldini in that partnership, as we said earlier on, 34 goals in around 200 games. Um, that will never be seen again. That was the AC Milan that won a season, won a Serie A, scoring about 30-odd goals. That's unheard of. That, that partnership was just unreal. And... It won't be seen again. And not being the tallest guy that played at Saint, I think he was only about five foot seven eight. Uh, but a very intelligent player, re- read a game excellently. The uh, the original uh, sweeper, um, and he could he was one as well that could spray a pass, and he wasn't frightened to get his foot in, and he wasn't frightened to do the dirty. Um, I don't think he had an immaculate record when it came to discipline but for me Paolo, Paolo Maldini has to be partnered with Franco Baresi and I think I got caught out with that one on Davy Edgar's post uh, Davy Edgar's team because I just thought maybe generationally that it might have been him but growing up watching Football Italia those were the two players that you always just looked out for and how to defend and Baresi is my missing man from the eleven. So, uh, Eddie, I know you like Franco as well. Yeah, I was going to say that's a, that's a great shout, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you did bring him up. I think before we even started the show, we kind of previously discussed Maldini and Brazy as a kind of partnership and how much we love them as a partnership. But when we discussed it, we both had that kind of one side each. Um, I, I Maldini was my favourite of the two. Brazy was your favourite of the two. And um, for me, that that's that's us. Me and you are the Maldini and Baresi of the pod world. And I'll, fucking take, I'll fucking take that, by the way. Andrew can be where uh, Rigo Saki. I'm going to assume that's an insult, Eddie. I don't know for no, sure, no, no. but it sounds like one. <laughs> no, no. He's, he was the uh, Italy manager. He's now the president of UEFA. Okay, all right. Well, you know, I'll take that. I'm I assuming be, that I was going to be harsher on you and say you're the Ricky Foster of the podcast. In one of oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's worse. It's a player I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, did, I didn't mean it. I swear I didn't mean it. Please keep being producer, Andrew. <laughs> Don't worry, uh, Scott. I'll edit out all of the uh, good points you ever make again. <laughs> balls. Uh, definition of shooting one in the foot. So, ladies and gentlemen, joint third place for season one. We have the Money 11, also known as Chris Betts' team, who scored five of the 11 top picked. We have the Played With 
played against and idolised 11. And that was from Marco Negri in episode four. Our winner by one point is Mr. Ibrox Rocks himself, David Edgar, with six of his picks featuring in the starting 11 of season one. So congratulations to David Edgar. Another award for heart and hand. Um, I'm sure he'll be very modest when he finds out. This is this is not a physical award in any way, shape or form. Um, we're still trying to up our budget. So if there's anybody that's interested in sponsoring us for season two, the English Premier League 11, which will be coming your way soon, um, we might be able to send out a mug or something by then. Um, so sponsors, please, please be alert. We're always willing to plug pr- product for money. I mean, uh, product for quality's sake. Um, so all that's left for me to say for season one is thank you to our co-hosts for the week, the season. And that is Andrew. Thank you very much for your time. No, it's been a genuine pleasure. Um, I've joked about this on the pod before, but my knowledge of football outside of Rangers is absolute toilet. So to be honest, part of this has been an education as well. It's been great listening not only to the both of you, but also all of our fantastic guests, Wax Lyrical, about players they either love or rate technically, or for whatever reason, made their inclusion into the uh, into their best 11s. So it's been an absolute pleasure, and I uh, can't wait to get started with season two. My sentiments exactly. And Eddie, thank you for... Uh... Uh, hopefully a successful and enjoyable season one yeah no thanks to both of you um when we were first asked about putting other content out and podcasts and this idea came to me you two were the the only people i could really think um that i wanted to do this show with because i just thought the three of us had good chemistry and i think over the course of season one i hope it's been proved right it's been absolutely enjoyable doing it with uh with the pair of you and while I might have come up with the idea, all the hard work's been done by you guys um, between Andrew doing all the uh, producing and editing and yourself putting out all the great content that's now going out on our Twitter and Instagram accounts. Um, I can't thank you both enough. And hopefully producer Andrew works one wee bit more magic to put Careless Whisper behind that speech there, Eddie, because that was beautiful. I've got a wee thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, uh, my sentiments uh, are echoed to the same to both of you guys. I've thoroughly enjoyed season one. I cannot wait for the EPL 11 and we've got some big names coming on that and some big successful podcasts as well. Um, and hoping to get an insight in here because we're going to have, I think this time it will be slightly more debatable and I think we'll have slightly more controversy in there. And as well as that, I think there'll be a lot of different players. So. We discussed 57, as I said, on season one. I think there'll be a lot more than that in season two. All that's left to say is thank you to the listener and we'll leave you with this tune to play out. The champion, David Edgar. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I've got the looks. The tribes are cool. While I've got the mood. That really move I said chill. Up and down their spine I'm just a sexy boy I'm not your boy toy I'm just a sexy boy I'm not your boy toy I make them hot I 
Oh, 